Yeah, I suppose it's ironic that Collins is is killed so close to his birthplace by people who would have been quite familiar with Collins and with his family and kind of close associates with his friends and family and that as well. Um, and and I suppose the interesting thing is that Collins he leaves Clonakilty when he's fifteen years of age. Um, he doesn't really return. He comes back to visit family and friends and that. But it's it's kind of on one of these visits is where where he is killed. Like he he at this at this point he has been has left Panakilti fifteen years, and it's one of his rare kind of trips back to West Cork. And unfortunately, it's it's then when he when he is killed during the Civil War. That was Jamie Murphy of the Michael Collins House Museum in Clonakilty, County Cork, and the Michael Collins House Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On today's show, Murphy will be on to discuss Michael Collins, the museum, West Cork, and other aspects of Irish history. This is a longer conversation for us on the podcast, so let's get right to it. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. Thanks for having me on, Richard. So the last time I was in Ireland, I actually had the chance to visit your museum, and I really wanted to share this with all of our listeners because I know we have a lot of listeners in the States who like to head over to Ireland as much as humanly possible, and maybe Clonakilty isn't necessarily at the top of their list for places to visit, but it is part of of a great network of West Cork sites to see that, first of all, are just gorgeous as far as the atmosphere and the environment, but have a lot of significance, especially in the War of Independence. So why don't you just say why people want to look into Clonakilty as a destination the next time they're in Ireland? I suppose West Cork and Clonakilty particularly... um, like you said, it, it it is one of the popular regions for people when they're they're coming over for, from the states. It is along the you know the, the the famous wide Atlantic way, as they say. You have all this rough natural beauty along the, the southern coast of Ireland, off the Atlantic, and um, but particularly in West Cork and where we're from in Clonakilty, and that, um, it's a hugely important part of our history. The the area in Ireland, Cork is known as the Rebel County. And I suppose the reason for that is that the history you have um, generations and generations of revolutions which find their, their seeds in the, the area surrounding Clonakilty and the, the West Cork region. Um, I suppose some of you may be aware of Michael Collins, but there's a kind of a, a wider history there of the generation who came before Michael Collins as well, some very important figures there as well, and even a generation before that 1798 rebellion that is all quite closely tied to the West Cork region as well. So when somebody visits the Michael Collins House Museum, they're not just seeing a house that is restored to be how it was like when he lived there. That's a very popular trope here in the U.S. is to show you what the house looked like when the person lived there. But this is really a museum that talks about who Michael Collins was as a person and goes a lot more in-depth into all of the aspects of the revolution of the War for Independence. So why don't you tell people about what they can see in your museum? Yeah, well, I suppose first off, the museum itself, as you say, it is... Uh, we call it Michael Collins House 
realistically, we actually don't know which house Michael Collins lived in on the square. And um, so that taking that into mind when we were making the museum, that's part of why we don't have a recreation of Michael Collins's house. We don't have his bedroom or anything like that, because we're not actually 100 percent sure if that's the property in which Collins lived in. The Collins family say that it was the property. Some of the records are um a, a little bit more vague and it are, in fact there's very few records and uh, the irish were very good record keepers back then so they're not they only rented the property as well so they, they weren't owners of the property so as i said the, the, the records are a little bit vague and where collins lived so that kind of formed part of the reason why it's not like you say kind of this uh a recreation of collins's house um but more so uh, a museum dedicated to michael collins and to the history of Irish independence and the fight for Irish independence, as we put it. And it, what it does, I suppose, is we try to give a, a little bit of foundation history on Michael Collins. So that, that obviously Michael Collins didn't, his story doesn't begin in a vacuum. He didn't be born and revolutionism in Ireland started. There was revolutionism, there was republicanism, there was uh, nationalism within Ireland for generations and generations previously. There's, I suppose, 800 years, as as it's often put, of um, you know, conflict there in the the the, the Anglo-Irish story. Uh, we go back, we give a little bit of foundation history and the foundations of that, where it all came from, and where Michael Collins' story really begins, which is probably with in what. I, I suppose we call it republicanism. It's a little bit different to American republicanism. It's. A... <laughs> I think most of us at least know that we might be some <laughs> ignorant Americans, but we understand the difference in terminology. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so it's not a political thing, but actual uh, republicanism in in that uh, I suppose that the 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 country would be governed by you know a, a, a free republic. And um, I suppose that that goes back to the 1798 rebellion in Ireland. I say that kind of has a close association with the, the the West Cork region as well. And that's kind of where we start our story and how the 1798 re uh, revolution kind of influenced the following generations and actually came to directly influence Michael Collins. And its story is kind of some of the stories that Michael Collins would have grown up listening to, too. So that's a hugely important part of his story. So then we obviously go through his youth and how, I suppose, previous generations and how his family and how his environment influenced him at an early age. And then I suppose his whole life story that people are more familiar with as well. Even talking about that clarification of what republicanism means and talking about it not being necessarily a political term, because in the revolution, there were people of many different political stripes, what we would now call more to the left or more to the right. It was about governing Ireland from Ireland more than it was any particular political ideology. Yeah, exactly. Like that goes back, as I say, to the 1798 rebellion. The, the men who would have, I suppose, started the 1798 rebellion, these were men who, I suppose, kind of found themselves on the, the wrong side of... Um, I suppose religion there as well. That in in fact that 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 they they weren't of the Protestant religion, uh, and they found themselves discriminated against as well. And um, so you had people of various religions 
quite wealthy people as well. Um, it, it wasn't kind of a, a revolution that came from the, the layman or, or the farmer or from the, the lower ends of society. These were kind of from the, the upper echelons of society who really kind of started republicanism in Ireland. They were kind of influenced by the, the, the French and the American Revolution and kind of seeing this as, as the way forward, a, a step away from uh, the monarchy, a step away from that um, kind of controlled government in uh, Britain and a, a chance to... to they basically give freedom to everybody equally, regardless of religion or of race or of, um, you know, where they're standing in society. And not far from your museum, we have the locations both of Michael Collins' birth and, unfortunately, the location where Michael Collins was ambushed and shot, the pub where he spent one of his last nights on Earth. All of those things are tying his early life with his post-revolution life, with his Irish Civil War life. It's almost too much to think that that is where it all started and ended for him. Very close. Like, these things are very close to each other. Yeah, I suppose it's ironic that Collins is, is killed so close to his birthplace, by people who would have been quite familiar with Collins and with his family and kind of close associates with his friends and family and that as well. Um, and, and I suppose the interesting thing is that Collins, he leaves Clonakilty when he's 15 years of age. Um, he doesn't really return. He comes back to visit family and friends and that. But it's it's kind of on one of these visits is where where he is killed. Like he he at this at this point he has been has left Clonakilty fifteen years, and it's one of his rare kind of trips back to West Cork. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's then when he when he is killed during the Civil War. Uh, but I suppose for us now, um, it it it's interesting because it gives us the opportunity to give the whole story from I suppose the cradle to the grave of Michael Collins within 40 kilometers of each other. And, you know, what the way that we kind of recommend that you kind of do the tour is to visit the museum first, learn the Michael Collins story about the sites and then visit the sites. So you're visiting the sites with a mind aware of what happened there, that you're visiting Michael Collins' birthplace, aware of his youth. You're able to kind of look at it with, uh, I suppose, an educated look that you know uh, where Collins came from, his his family makeup, what the, the types of things that they were doing while at his birthplace. Because at the moment, his birthplace is is just a small site with uh, a small, the, the ruins of a small cottage on it. There's there's no interpretation there. There's no museum or anything like that to, to kind of give you an interpretation or an insight into Collins' area life. It's just a site. Similarly, at Bail of Law, it's just a site. It's a, a memorial at a roadside, really, um, that that doesn't give any indication of actually what happened there and how Collins was killed. So by coming to the museum first, you're learning all about this and you're, you you have a, a better insight and you're able to kind of look at it with a, a more educated insight then too. In a recent episode of the podcast, I talked to author Patrick O'Sullivan Green and he did a book about when Eamon de Valera traveled to the United States in an effort to gain support hopefully get support from the U.S. government, which of course never came to fruition. But one of the things that Patrick O'Sullivan Green discussed was how in the years since he started researching this book and the years since it has been released, 
Eamon De Valera's reputation has kind of fallen off a little bit. But it seems to be the exact opposite with Michael Collins. It seems like every year that goes by, Michael Collins' reputation seems to be built up more and more. Would you say that's an accurate representation of how things are in Ireland? Um, I I think, I suppose, the further we move away from the Civil War, um, with regards to, from a generational point of view, um, it's a hundred years ago now, and um, we're you know that a few generations removed. The the kind of the bitterness of civil war politics is certainly lessened. Like I suppose within Irish politics now, one could argue that civil war politics have ceased. Eventually, a hundred years later, <laughs> um, from a, a personal point of view, you would still have families. Who would consider themselves? I uh, obviously uh, uh, by I suppose Michael Collins is generally associated with the Finnegale um political party in Ireland, while Eamon De Valera is usually um associated with the Fianna Fáil. Um, so they're they're kind of the, seen as the opposite sides of political civil the civil war politically, um up up until I suppose most recently in in the past two years they both political parties have come together and are currently in government together at the moment as well. So as uh, ironically, a hundred years later, both parties are now actually in government together as well. So that, that's that's where we are in Ireland at the moment. And this, um, I suppose, as I say, we're, we're then generations removed. Within families, you still have this, uh, that families would generally be associated with one political party or another. Um, and with that, you kind of have uh, anti or pro Collins bias within families, even which are, are certainly lessening to this day. Um, I would say there is a little bit of a Hollywood effect on it since the Michael Collins movie that came out in 1996 with Liam Neeson and Julia Roberts and that, which obviously has kind of painted Michael Collins in a, a very heroic light and did the exact opposite to Eamon de Valera. And this has affected the 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 uh, how both of those men are viewed as well. And has, as, as you say, kind of given this rise to this anti-Eamon de Valera uh, viewpoint and pro-Collins, which is a little bit more prevalent now, but um, not necessarily 100% historically accurate. And we see it a lot with many political figures that the one who survives ends up taking a hit in people's opinions because Michael Collins still stays this 33-year-old guy who was, you know, coming off this amazing victory while Eamon de Valera actually governed after the Irish War of Independence. So anything you didn't like that he did, you can tell yourself Michael Collins wouldn't have done that. So you also mentioned the movie with Liam Neeson and Liam Neeson dedicated a statue to Michael Collins right basically across the street from your museum. Did uh, actually just to, to move back to Eamon De Valera for a second, I don't want to move on. And I'm, I'm very well aware that this is the, the, um, Irish baseball podcast. I'm just for a, a little nugget of information. I, I 
possibly stand to be corrected, but I think Eamon de Valera was responsible for the biggest crowd ever at Fenway Park. You are absolutely correct. It was something that we discussed about that tour with uh, Patrick O'Sullivan Green. Yes, he had a very large crowd for his event at Fenway Park, and he also did events at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Um, Yeah, yeah. Harry Boland was in Cincinnati during the famous World Series where the Chicago White Sox threw the World Series, took money from gamblers to lose the World Series to the Cincinnati Reds. So there is a lot of baseball tie-in with some of this actual history. It's really, really interesting. Yep. Um, But as I say, I suppose uh, back then you can see, I suppose, the popular popularity of Eamon de Valera and he is I suppose a victim of his own uh, legacy really that he he kind of lasted for so long as you say within politics and I don't, I don't think anybody gets out of politics cleanly really um, but as you say yeah uh, Liam Neeson he has um, he launched the the statue in Michael, Coll- Michael Collins statue sorry in Emmett Square which is just directly across from the the museum here in Clonakilty back in 2002 there was a, a, a huge crowd I think up to 8,000 people showed out to to greet Liam Neeson um who's he's probably one of the people who is responsible for I suppose one of the correct biggest corrections that we have to make for people in the museum and that's Michael Collins and why he's called the big fella and obviously people looking at Lee Neeson assume him to be a six foot four giant and uh, whereas Michael Collins in reality was I suppose about five foot ten and uh, where the big fella name is more about his I suppose his his uh, temperament rather than his physical stature. And then this is also a podcast, so it's a baseball podcast, so you discussed that a little bit ago, but it is a podcast. We get a lot of podcast listeners who love to find great podcasts, and you put on one of the best podcasts. So why don't you talk about the podcast from the Michael Collins house, because you cover a lot of different topics and I know they will interest a lot of our listeners. Uh, thanks very much, Richard. Uh, I suppose our podcast, it's, it's available in all the, the usual podcast locations, where, wherever you get your podcasts, it's it's up there everywhere. We Everything we do really is, is generally some way associated to Michael Collins in, in some way or another, whether it be kind of wider revolution in Ireland, um that that would have eventually uh influenced michael collins or whether it be directly related to michael collins where we're constantly um i suppose there's collins i suppose is one of them characters where there's always new research there's always new publications um coming out about him or associated topics as well so um we cover everything, as I say, we're talking about 1798 Athenians and everything about Collins from his youth uh, to his, um, I suppose, our, our most recent is the Liam Lynch podcast, which Liam Lynch would have been Collins, I suppose, direct opposite during the Civil War. He was the, the commander in chief of the, the anti-treaty IRA, who tragically was killed as well during the Civil War. And I suppose he he's one of the figures who's kind of lesser known really 
and um, people know the name, people know of them, um, but they, they, they don't really know much about them. So um, there recently has been a new publication uh, by George Shannon. It's only the third um, biography that was written about uh, Liam Lynch. And we have Jared on to, to talk about Liam Lynch as well. And that's kind of, I suppose, kicking off um, the new season for us as well. And again, we have another four or five podcasts lined up all about different topics related to Collins Collins and the GA and you know some of the Kitty Hearnan family so Collins's um fiance and her family so we're going to look a little bit more into that so it's all these sorts of talk. again they all kind of come back to Michael Collins but it's not just purely Michael Collins like yourself it's a, a little bit diverse but it'll give you a good insight into the, the whole of Irish history and as the Irish baseball podcast we love to talk about sports, and I think that when you talk about the GAA and Michael Collins, I don't think there's ever been a combination of sports and revolution like the GAA and the role it played in the Irish Revolution. Obviously, people have written books about this and will continue to write books about it, so it's a big topic. But why don't you just mention a little bit about that? Yeah, so the the GAA is, uh, I suppose it's it's weaved within its threads are weaved within the the whole culture of Ireland, um, and particularly through the, the revolutionary period as well. Um, you know, it was I suppose at this the Collins's kind of active period and during the when with the foundation of the Irish Volunteers, uh, the GAA at this time was essentially used as a, a, a recruitment ground for volunteers for the, the Irish volunteer force and um, it was also used as a front for um for running drills and that that people were going um I, I suppose to train hurling when really they were going to march they were going to drill and um, there's it's probably I suppose there's definitely a study there to be shown between the the, the shape of a hurl and the, the, the shape of a rifle at the time as well they were quite similar um, and the the hurls were often used as a, a practice rifle essentially of how to march with a rifle how to how to hold it properly all these kind of things and so that's that's kind of i suppose the broader terms of how the gea is involved within the revolutionary period uh in collins specifically i suppose collins and the gea is one of the reasons how collins becomes directly involved with the revolution it's through his connections in the gaa in london and um, so the it, it essentially was used in london as as it is today all over the world you'll see it in in america the gaa is essentially it, it's like a local irish community for everybody to come together and play the sport and be irish together essentially and this was the same back in 19 14, 19, 13, when Michael Collins was playing uh, GAA in London and he became quite closely associated. I suppose Collins being the, the, the administrator that he was became involved in the GAA on an, an, uh, an administrative level. Uh, he was the, the secretary for the GAA club at 18 years of age that, that, that he joined the Geraldine's GAA club and eventually went on to become the county board secretary. So he'd be over the, the county essentially. Um, he was the county secretary at the time as well. At this, the chair people of the the, the county board were uh, Lee McCarthy, um, and the the vice chairman was a man named Sam McGuire. Now, two names that that for people outside of Ireland that don't sound too familiar, but in Ireland every year 
uh, the the GA competition, so the, the the GA football championship and the hurling championship, the two cups for them are named after both of them men. Uh, so the hurling championship, the the cup that you win at the end of the season, the championship cup is called the Lee Lynch, or sorry, the Lee McCarthy Cup, and then you have the the, the Sam Maguire is the football cup as well. So these two men, as I say, were were very close to Michael Collins as well, and and you see Collins's close relationship with them as well, and how how influential it was, and supposedly it's it's Sam Maguire himself who was one of the men who initiate Michael Collins into what's called the Irish Republican Brotherhood. So this is kind of the underground movement who eventually are responsible for the, the 1916 rising. Now, Michael Collins isn't one of the leaders in this movement. He's just an ordinary member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood at this point. But I suppose they're they're the men who are responsible really for the 1916 rising and kind of kickstarting the, the whole war of independence and everything that Michael Collins would be so influential in. So as I say, it's kind of intrinsically locked with, with the history of Ireland as well. Jamie Murphy from the Michael Collins House Museum, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Richard, for having me on. Enjoyed our talk. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been Episode 77 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.